This is Uniquely Milwaukee. It's everything you love about community stories, but more in depth. Giving the stories the time and attention they deserve. Changing perspective one episode at a time. I'm your host, Salam Fathayed, and this is Uniquely Milwaukee. Stories that stick with you. This night is just perfect. It's perfectly perfect. And you look so beautiful, Barbie. Thanks, Barbie. I feel so beautiful. So do I. This is the best day ever. It is the best day ever. And so is yesterday. And so is tomorrow. And so is the day after tomorrow. And even Wednesdays. And every day from now until forever. Do you guys ever think about dying? Well, Barbie, I do. And if you have been listening to this month's podcast, I have an inkling that you might be too. We're continuing to delve into the timeless topic of death, but with a twist. We'll be examining the culture of death, this time taking a look into how media paints a portrait of mortality and how that portrayal influences our perceptions, fears, and hopes regarding the inevitable. To walk me through this conversation, I hopped on a Zoom call with Professor Jonathan Gray. I'm a, I'm a professor at University of Wisconsin-Madison, and I study a lot to do with television and particularly how television and audiences interact. I guess I've always been interested in it because I grew up moving around the world and uh, everywhere I moved to, I was always sort of the odd one out until I learned the media, until I learned, you know, the catchphrases and who were the characters I needed to talk about and which shows mattered. And so I, I guess I always realized that media is a sort of a, a real key into all sorts of communities and 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 media can allow you to do a whole lot of things that we sometimes don't think it can can allow us to do. Yeah, I love that. You know, it kind of reminds me a little bit when I was a kid, because I lived overseas as well. And like the way I would connect to culture in America was by watching TV. And until I went back to school here and I was like, oh, it's completely not the reality. There's no quarterback or mean cheerleader. But it did make me feel a bit connected. I'm not American, so I didn't move here until 2003. But it's the weird experience that I, like most people in the world, I felt like I knew the country, but I right. only through the media. So there was yeah. lots of things I didn't know. You know? Where, where are you from? Born in Canada, but I, I'm also English and grew up in, in uh, Australia, Singapore and Hong Kong as well. So. That's awesome. <laughs> Do you know if there has been an evolution in film and TV's perspective or portrayal on death? I don't know whether I necessarily say an evolution as much as I think one of the things that excites me is that we're we're in an era of so many more shows just in general. And so what that also means is so, so many more shows that explore all sorts of different, you know, types of characters. And so what that means is when we encounter death, um, we're often encountering, you know, from a, a, a wider range of perspectives. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, we're also in an area of a lot of serialized television, which is nice because it means that, you know, one of the problems with dealing with something like death in a classic, you know, look at your classic sort of 22-minute um, sitcom episode mm-hmm. in which everything kind of has to be wrapped up by the end. It it doesn't lend itself well to talking about something that, that you know, I mean, grief doesn't just end in 22 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um and so when you have characters that can continue to grieve and go through different steps of it over a season, over years, that allows something. I mean, of course, soap operas were already doing that. So I don't want to suggest that that's brand new, but it, it's something that, you know, soap, soap operas weren't being watched by everyone. And, and so now I think no matter what kind of 
viewer you are, there's probably several shows you've you've watched where you've had to deal with a, a pretty major death. Eleanor, come on in. Hi, Eleanor. I'm Michael. How are you today? I'm great. Thanks for asking. Oh, one question. Where am I? Who are you and what's going on? Right. So, you, Eleanor Shellstrop, are dead. Your life on Earth has ended, and you are now in the next phase of your existence in the universe. Jeff and I can't imagine what you're going through. Well, it's like if Jeff got hit by a car and died suddenly and violently. Like that. I was online yesterday and said that if your spouse dies, it feels like losing $308,780 a year. How do you put a dollar amount on death? Like, how is that even a thing with the price tag? Yeah, and in your opinion, have you discovered maybe like a common theme or trend around depicting death in media? Mm, I don't know about that. I mean, I do think we're uh, we're getting into an interesting era of a lot of what I kind of call existential TV, like TV mm-hmm. that's really asks big questions about what it means to be alive. And often one of the best ways to ask about what life is, is to ask about how death works and, and about the absence of life, right? And so... Um, some of the, the shows that I think are some of the more brilliant shows of the last few years have, have really centered death. So mm-hmm. uh, The Leftovers is a fascinating example as a show in which just 2% of the world's population just disappear overnight and no one knows why. And the, the show begins several years later when everyone's still trying to pick up the pieces. And it's about a world full of mm-hmm. loss and grief or Reservation Dogs, a brilliant show about mm-hmm. these four teens growing up on a on a, a reservation in, in Oklahoma, dealing with the death of, of a friend. And that death is still looming in the third season. Um, you know, we're, we're getting some, but there, there are also shows about what it means to be alive and, you know, what we're, we're, what we're here for. How does the portrayal of death, in your opinion, kind of impact our perception of morality? Yeah, I mean, it's one of the most common ways to think about death is then to think, was this a life well lived? Mm-hmm. Um did the person do what they should have? Um, you know, a lot of the grief can be exacerbated by the sense of, of someone being taken before their time. And if we think of what does that mean? It doesn't just mean years. It means before they did the kind of things they wanted to do. And so I think, you know, some of the shows that I've been really fascinated by um, when they've talked about death, it's precisely in, in getting into that idea of, well, what, what does it mean to live a, a good life? What what should you do? So The Leftovers is a fascinating example because everyone is now living in a world in which they know that, you know, th- in theory, this can happen again because no one can work out why it happened. And so a lot of people are wrestling with, are, are they a good person? You know, are, have they have they deserved this? The other dilemma that a lot of the characters are struggling with in The Leftovers is, was this a rapture or a sort of reverse rapture? In other words, were the good people taken or were the bad people taken? Um, where does that leave us? You know, am I one of the bad people because I wasn't taken? Um, and, and so I think a lot of those those questions of, of who am I and, and what have I done in my life um, can be really um, dealt with um, through talking about death. I think one of the key things I'd say about media depictions of of loss, right, is that um, I don't think of them necessarily as substitutes, but as supplements, they can be great, you know, unless you have a great amount of money, 
you're only going to see a therapist so many times a day. Mm-hmm. If you're a good person, you probably feel awkward about subjecting other people to a tearful discussion. And and one of the nice things about media depictions is that they allow you to sort of go to a perhaps a really sad place just and be in solitary Congress, just, you know, you, your thoughts, the TV show. Um, and I think the value of that for a lot of people who are dealing with grief is is significant. Grief holds profound significance and the media can assist us in processing these emotions, offering a pathway to confront the weight of our sorrow when we are prepared. But how does this play off screen right after the break? Do you want to know the secret behind the programming you love? It's all funded by the honor system. As a public radio station, we're based on a very simple model. We try to do something meaningful, connecting with you through music and stories. And then we count on those who appreciate what we do to show their support. Are you one of them? Show your support by visiting RadioMilwaukee.org and joining today. Media plays an integral role in shaping our culture. Yet culture encompasses more than what appears on our screens. It's our behaviors, our beliefs, and values carrying forward through generations via communication and imitation. So what transpires when an individual from a distant corner of the world finds their final resting place in Milwaukee? How can one honor their native culture and traditions in this context? I asked Carrie Belliot, officer manager at Pineland Memorial Park, this question. When it comes to like cultural or religious traditions, how how do you ensure those are respected or incorporated? This is such a great question. Thank you for asking this. Of course. This is why we have sections in our park that are dedicated. As I mentioned earlier, we have the Greek section in our park, and we also have a section for Hmong culture. For uh, For the Greek burials, for example, 40 days after they lay their loved one to rest, they will come back out to the park for another ceremony. And so we make sure that we have everything ready for the families to be able to come out and have that service. For the Hmong burials, their cultural tradition is to help fill the grave in with dirt at the end of the service. So we make sure that we provide that for the families so they can participate in their cultural traditions and make sure that they are getting the service that is helping them with closure. Before Carrie worked at a cemetery, she spent over 35 years in media publishing. Carrie switched careers a little over a year ago and decided it was time to amplify her purpose. I have a very long history with death and with watching loved ones that I've been very close with pass. I lost my wife from ovarian cancer 13 years ago. I lost my father seven years ago, and I lost my mother in in November. And so speaking about death, understanding the death and dying process has been something that has been close to me and important to me. And I decided 
that working for a cemetery is a really good way for me to tap into that purpose because I am helping to support families at a time in their lives when they really, really need support. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did you have any misconceptions before starting the job? I didn't realize how important the distinction between pre-need, which is thinking about what you want your final arrangements to be before you pass versus an at need, which is needing services at the time of death. And there's a very big difference in those two needs. Yeah. I feel like I honestly don't even think about funeral needs at all. And I I often was speaking to people that have faced death and they it either hits them right away or you know, they're forced to start thinking about it. So I guess the follow-up question to that is when's the right time to start thinking about pre-needs? It is never too early to think about pre-need. Mm-hmm. I will tell you, my wife passed at the age of 48 and we that wasn't even on our radar at that time. Mm-hmm. And it's so incredibly important when you are going through a death, when you have your needs taken care of and you know that all that all of those decisions have been made for you, mm-hmm. it gives you the opportunity to grieve yeah. and to handle all of the emotional processing of that death rather than having to think and make decisions that are emotional and financial. What falls under pre-needs or at the moment needs as well? Yeah, so pre-need really means that you are Mm pre-planning for end of life. And what does that look like for you? What kind of service do you want? Would you like a full body burial or would you like to be cremated? Is the type of casket important to you? Is your outer burial container important to you? How do you want to be memorialized? Mm. You also have the same things to think about at with at need. You're just making that decision at a time in your life when making decision when you have a lot of decisions to make, mm-hmm. number one. And number two, you're making them with a lot of emotion. Part of the reason why we're doing this podcast is we're hoping to normalize the conversation around death where those big questions aren't super scary and they're a way to honor the way you would like to pass. Have you found that there is a... Um, typical or common burial options that Milwaukee families or families choose? What we're finding now is that more people are opting for cremation. Mm. It's become very popular. And we are also finding that people like when they do choose cremation, a lot of times people will say, well, I'm, I, I want to keep my loved one with me. I would like to keep their cremated remains with me until I pass. And then we will be laid to rest together. Mm. So we do do quite a few burials where that loved one has passed, that person has has kept them, kept the cremated remains, and then we lay both of them to rest at the same time. Do you have an insight on perhaps why cremation has been incredibly popular these recent years? 
It, that's a good question. I think it's a very, very personal decision mm -hmm. on whether you want to be cremated or not. It's funny. I was just talking with my family, one of my family service counselors about it today. And so often when we talk about what are your plans for what are your end of life plans? A lot of people will say to us, I'm just going to be cremated. Mm -hmm. And then we say, okay. And so after you're cremated, what's going to happen with your cremated remains? My spouse, my children are going to keep them. And then we always take it a step further and say, okay. And then when your spouse or your children are no longer living, what will happen to your cremated remains? And I'm not sure that people take it, think about it that far out that we're mm -hmm. thinking about, well, what, what will eventually happen to you and where will you, where will your final resting place be? Mm. And what does that look like for you? Yeah. I mean, I'll be the first to say it that as before you even brought that up, I have never even considered that because if I was going to go with the option of cremation, my thought process would be like, oh, it'd be with my family. But that is true when they also pass where would my resting place be. Lots to think about. This is why these conversations need to happen. Mm -hmm. Upon my research, I was wondering if there are there any burial laws to consider when it comes to uh, funeral burial arrangements? There are some laws that that we do need to think about. Wisconsin is one of the states that is what is known as the anti-combo state. So that means that funeral homes and cemeteries are completely separate. Mm. So as a cemetery, we do not have, we are not legally able to transport um, people that have passed. Mm. We That must be done through a funeral home. So a lot of people say, well, do I just call you when my loved one passes? And we always say, no, you must call the funeral home. And then the funeral home will get in touch with us. Okay. So it's really in Wisconsin, it is a two-part process. You mentioned your late wife and family members stepping into this role. Has that helped provide any closure or airway to unpack that grief? Yeah, boy, that's such a good question. You know, my wife passed away 13 years ago. It'll be 14 years in March. And I always say that your grief journey does not end. It just changes grief changes over time. And so when, just when I feel that my grief journey has softened, something will come up that shows me that that is not the case. Mm -hmm. And so this job has allowed me to heal at a deeper level than I really even knew that I needed to heal. I think this role has taught me that I am responsible for my grief mm. and other people are responsible for their grief. And it also helped me learn how to stand in the uncomfortable and honor other people's grief without wanting or needing to fix it because we want to take pain away from people. We are compassionate. We are empathetic. We do not like to see people suffer. 
And so I have this natural tendency to want to fix that for them. Mm -hmm. And I can support them in their grief journey by helping them find closure, by helping them memorialize their loved one, by helping them plan a service that honors that loved one's life and make it special. And I still need to allow them to be on their grief journey. Before ending my conversation with Carrie, she told me that her and her late wife, Ardeth Cope, danced to the song At Last by Ida James on their wedding day in 2005. This is for you, Ardeth. At last My love has come episode we have a little treat a little bonus i interviewed Pajo, and if you don't know who Pajo is he is a Ghanaian coffin fantasy maker and artist and has over 16,000 followers on instagram he's made coffins in the shape of a camera a pineapple a plane and no they are not exclusively just for art exhibits they are meant to be used just like a regular coffin nothing is off limits for Pajo. vision at the moment is for people in the U.S. Mm. to get buried in this fantasy coffin. Because, you know, one tradition about this fantasy coffin in Ghana is, uh, you know, the belief is we, we tried to know what we were doing in the, in, uh, on Earth in the afterlife. So a teacher will be buried in a pen coffin or in a book coffin, while the media will be buried in a camera coffin mm. or in a microphone coffin. That's all you're going to hear for now, but listen to the full exclusive interview at RadioMilwaukee.org slash death. Hi, I'm Kim Shine, production manager at Radio Milwaukee. Thank you to our host, Salam Fatayer, Tariq Moody, our executive producer, and Brett Kraskowski, who is our web editor. Thank you to our marketing team led by Sarah Lar, our graphics and wonderful logo made by Aaron Bagata. Mallory Wallace is our community engagement and membership manager, and Dan Reiner and Darren Brewer handle our social media. A big thank you to City Loving members for making Uniquely Milwaukee possible. Tune in next Tuesday for our next episode.